This is a podcast examining the lives and drives of creative thinkers. People who've turned their dreams into their career. Writers, directors, actors and public speakers, artists and musicians, fellow podcasters, and more. How does creativity work? And how can it pay the bills? This is Created By. My guest this week is a fantastically funny writer and stand-up comedian you may have caught on Comedy Central, Sarah Tiana. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I am a new mom, so that's kind of cool. That feels like my whole identity right now. I grew up in Georgia. I moved to LA in 2001, so 19 years ago. I moved out here to be an actress. I couldn't catch a cold or a break, like nothing. And I was DJing like weddings and bar mitzvahs and stuff. And this guy that I was DJing with was like, you're so funny, you have to do stand up. And like, I didn't even know that anybody could just do stand up. I thought you had to like have a sitcom and then you could do stand Like, I didn't know how it worked. I wrote a joke one day when I was watching the news and I looked up an open mic and I went and I did that like one joke and it worked and like, here we are, you know? I mean, I grew up in theater. I studied theater in Paris in college. So like being on stage was never an issue. It was like super easy. So when I started doing stand-up, it just felt like doing theater, but without You know, if I did good, I got all the credit. If I did bad, there was no one else to blame. And so it was kind of like the stakes felt higher. I went to see a movie and the movie I wanted to watch wasn't playing, but Jerry Seinfeld's movie Comedian was playing his documentary about throwing out all his material and starting stand-up all over again. And everyone in the theater was laughing and I was crying. And I was like, I have to do this, what I have to do. It's a sign. And so I went home and like, I've been working as a comedian ever since. So obviously stand-up wasn't always the goal and you came out to Los Angeles to be an actress. Did you start doing like sketch comedy or like, did you always know that comedy was in your wheelhouse or like, how did that evolve? Like how did that comedian part of you come out? I really never knew I was funny because I was so sarcastic and you know how people in the South don't understand sarcasm. So like, I was always like making fun of people and they would be laughing, but then they would be saying things like, that's not funny. That's not funny. So like, I just heard that's not funny. Hmm. I always knew like I could make people laugh and I was like fun, but I didn't know that that transitioned into anything. Even in college, I worked in radio and we had like kind of a funny drive time show, but it still didn't register. And like, I went to see Mitch Hedberg. He's like one of the comedians we interviewed and people are always like, is that when you decided to become a stand-up? And I'm like, you don't watch Mitch Hedberg and go, oh, I can do that. Like, I, I was just like, I have no idea how that works. Yeah. That's amazing. And like moved on. When I moved to LA, that's when I realized I was funny. Like I, that's when I realized the way that I grew up was not normal. Like I just thought everyone had a daycare in their high school. Like I didn't realize that like things were different where I yeah. grew up. Once I started talking about myself on stage and the way I grew up, that's when I started getting funnier. You know, Steinfeld always says, you know, it takes as long to become a comedian as it does become a doctor. Mm. It takes like, so it takes 10 years. And even when you become a doctor, you're not like a good doctor. (laughs) You're just (laughs) technically a doctor. Yeah, you need the experience. Yeah, you have to gather experience and you have to get a reputation. So it takes even 10 more years to get a reputation. 
it's a, it's a long process. And I can remember so many people being like, I think I'm going to get into comedy. How do I start? And I'm like, you just start, just know that you have to put 10 years of hard work into it. Once I started doing stand up, I ran into a guy that I met in Paris, actually. And at the time he was dating my friend Camille and they asked me to join a sketch comedy group. And that's where I learned to really start writing scenes. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, ooh, I really like this part of it. And and that's what I liked the most about comedy was just like writing my own stuff. And then eventually that led to me just becoming a writer because I, I realized that's even more what I wanted to do. Yeah, well, I mean, you've been doing a lot of writing. You've written for The Burn with Jeff Ross. You're writing for Lights Out with David Spade. You prefer writing over the stand-up performance aspect or are they just kind of different beasts? They're definitely different, but I prefer the writing. I love writing for other people. I love making other people feel funny. I think that's probably rare. I think most people who are funny want to be the one that is getting all the laughs. And like, I enjoy being on stage, but to me, it's just so much more rewarding to write a funny joke and like see somebody else do it. Well, tell me a little bit about like a, I guess, quote unquote, typical day uh, as a comedy writer. Like when you work for something like Lights Out uh, with David Spade, are you in a writer's room or are you just tasked with a certain number of like, write this many jokes today? Or like, how does that work? What's the day like? The day you, uh, in the morning you come in and um, it depends on how the show itself works. You know, for our show, we had a monologue and then we had a round table. And so all of us, the researchers, the writers, the producers, and David come in in the morning and we hear the researchers describe these stories. And then we are all just like pitching jokes Hmm. as the stories go on. And so the ones that have like the most amount of jokes kind of get chosen for the panel. And we also use Google uh, Docs. So we can all be looking at the same document at once. So we're all adding jokes into that document at one time. So then you just like firing away, you're firing jokes off in the room live and then if people laugh then you go and you add those into the document so it's a very fast process about 45 minutes in the morning and then there's usually about eight topics and there's eight writers so then we'll all be assigned like one topic and then we have to like create a document of all the best jokes Hmm. all the top picks the ones we think dave should do the ones he said in the room that will automatically like bold so you bold the things that you think are the best you'll have to also write the intro to set up the the story so to write the setup for the story, the explanation, then you write a joke, then you add all the jokes that he could possibly use, and then you add a button, wow. which is just the last joke. And then we would, after we would finish that, then we would start writing monologue jokes for the day. Well, let me ask you, I mean, in that morning meeting with the researchers and the producers and David and all the other writers, like, I would imagine, at least for someone like me, that would be incredibly intimidating to have to shout out an idea in front of a room full of people. Did that take a while to adapt to? I mean, I know you've written enough that you've been around these situations, but how do you deal with that kind of intensity? I mean, that that would be intimidating, no? It is intimidating, I think, when you begin and then you kind of like, you wouldn't have been hired in that room if you weren't funny. You know what I mean? So you just have to trust your instincts. The first time I was in a writer's room, it was definitely intimidating. And I was always the only woman too. And so what I would do is always saddle up next to either the best writer in the room or the guy that didn't like me at all. Hmm. You know, I would kind of throw things out in the main meeting to start. And then like, as I'm writing jokes throughout the day, I would run the joke by that guy and be like, do you think this is funny? So that I just established this power structure in the room, which is like, listen, I know you're better at this than me. Mm -hmm. I need your help. I need your advice. I'm not just here thinking I'm so good. 
I can always write another joke. I don't care, you know, like I can write a zillion jokes. If you think that one's not funny, no problem. I got 10 more. How has your act evolved since you started? What happens is like at the very beginning, you're just kind of a joke writer. You're just writing down anything and everything that's funny and anything that comes to you. And then you start finding two jokes that kind of go together. And then you'll start putting those like together more and more. And then you have a bit. And then you start putting bits together and they become a story. And so I think it just takes a while. Like first you have to get good at writing jokes and then you can start writing bits. I think when you're a comedian, and I think the reason I am a comedian is because we're highly sensitive people. Like you can read a room, like you can read people's energy Mm -hmm. in a weird way, like not in like a psychic way or anything, but like, you know, I can tell like, oh, they're fighting, they're on a date, they're from another country, you know, like, and I can decide whether or not to use any of that. When I get up on stage, I could tell immediately that people were nervous because they thought, oh my gosh, she's so cute and she's so nice. I hope she's funny. Hmm. And I totally get that because I'm the same way when I see a comedian that I don't know. Um, Even a woman, like I'm not offended by that at all. I agree that there are not a lot of funny women. There are not a lot of funny comedians to me, you know, and statistically there are just less women. So statistically there can be less of us that are funny. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just decided I have to go do as many jokes as I can, like not as fast as I can, but like rapid fire to just make people relax. Like, mm. Oh, okay. So I take like the first three minutes and it's always the same. It just gets people into a rhythm where they can just relax and then like I can tell them whatever I want. Hmm. That was like something that I kind of figured out early on. And now I'm kind of experimenting with new different ones for those like rapid fire. Hmm. Also, you have to address the elephant in the room. You know, if you're a fat comic, you have to talk about being fat. Hmm. I think the more personal you are, the better your comedy is. Hmm. And I think honestly, like that's why people like Dane Cook became huge. But then like people stopped really caring because nobody knew anything about him personally. Hmm. When you don't give people like personal stories and like real stuff happening to you, it's hard for people to stay close to you, to feel like they're part of your family. It took a while for me to really open up about who I truly am. And I think as a woman, I was like trying to mimic other female comics. And once I started talking about the fact that I wasn't a sexual person and I don't talk about my vagina, and like I stopped being dirty about anything, I think my comedy really got better. Hmm. I don't really say the P word unless it's like I'm quoting a joke. Like I'll write jokes like that for someone else, but I don't say the P word. Hmm. It just doesn't sound right coming from me because it's not something I would use in a normal ever. Hmm. So once I started being more honest about that, then my comedy got a lot better. But that took 10, 12 years for me to realize. It's always been interesting to me to think about the way a comedian can structure and act like, I mean, you have all this material, and I'm sure that it's at some point, at least, I assume it's written out like how a joke should read, correct? Sometimes. Sometimes. Not all the time. And everybody's different. There's no right or wrong way to be a stand-up comic. Like some people write every day at the same time, you know, like Jezelnik mm-hmm. does that, Seinfeld does that. Then you have people like me that like don't put that kind of pressure on themselves. And I think that's why a lot of us have been struggling to write during COVID because I think you have to be living life in order to write about it. Mm. And when you're like quarantined in like this small place, it's difficult to write about. 
I used to open for this guy named Jeff Garcia, great comic here in Los Angeles, and he did crowd work. He was an expert crowd work guy, and he would record his shows and sell that show after his show because people from the audience were in the show. Well, he would have me cold open the show, so I'd have to do five minutes in front of, you know, like five, six hundred people, and I couldn't do any material. And what are you supposed to do? You can't do material. You just have to wing it. I couldn't do crowd work because he does crowd work. Hmm. He's like, just go out there and talk about your day. And I'm like, but Jeff, I didn't do anything today. And he's like, well, you're going to have to talk about that. And what it taught me was my jokes aren't funny. I'm funny. Hmm. You start trusting your instincts a little bit more. Some people sit down and write jokes. My jokes aren't like that. My jokes are all based on experiences. So like I tend to write on stage when I do a show. I like know where I'm going to start and I know where I want to end, but the audience kind of decides where I go. Hmm. I had a bit about going to the club, right? At 40. (laughs) And basically it all started because I went to a club with my friend and all I wanted to do was sit down, but that cost a thousand dollars. Oh my God. (laughs) You know? So that was how that joke started. And then while I was on stage, I started talking about all the other aspects of the club. Well, what's the first thing that happens when you get to a club? You walk up and there's usually a line. And so I talk about the line. Like, I'm like, I don't have to wait in line anymore. Like I'm a Delta gold medallion. You know what I mean? Like I'm 40. I don't do lines. Like that's not for me, you know? And then he checks your ID and he's always trying to add. And you're like, it says 1978. You know what I mean? Like you see the seven you move on, you know, you let me in. That bit turned into like a seven minute bit. Every episode, I do a lightning round. (laughs) Are you ready to do a lightning round? Yes. Okay, so here we go. Texting or talking? Texting. Tacos or pizza? Tacos. Do you prefer comedy or drama? Drama. I get sick of comedy. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to watch a lot of murder at night. Would you rather be hot or cold? Uh, cold. What is the last movie you watched? It was that dating movie with Kumail Nanjiani. And um, yeah, I don't remember where they like, they accidentally murder someone on their date. Oh, yeah. It was okay. really, really funny. What was the last TV show you watched? Uh, America's Funniest Videos. What is your least favorite animal? Oh, a snake. On a scale of one to 10, how good of a swimmer are you? Nine. I grew up with a pool. Well, in Georgia, you need one. (laughs) You have to, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your favorite snack? Chips. Any chips? Or just cheese and crackers. Sorry, I don't know. That's hard. (laughs) Depends on the day. What is your guilty pleasure song? My guilty pleasure song. Oh, Dibs by Kelsey Ballerini. (laughs) Nice. Do you have a desert island movie? Oh, yeah, Top Gun. Top Gun. Are you excited about the the sequel? Very, very upset that it's delayed. Very upset. Thanks a lot, pandemic. Yeah. How many spritzes of perfume is appropriate? Three. Would you rather ask for permission or forgiveness? Permission. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever gone to a sit-down restaurant alone? Oh, yes. One of my favorite things to do. I also love it when the waitress says, uh, is there someone else joining you? Because I order so much food. (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever been skydiving? No. Would you go? Yes. What tree is best? Hmm. 
The best tree. A Georgia pine. A Georgia pine. Have you ever asked to speak to the manager? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I am very white in that regard. <laughs> Cilantro, is it good or bad? It's terrible. It tastes like feet. Did you ever believe in Santa Claus? Oh, yeah. At what age did you learn the truth? Uh, I was probably like eight or nine. I, I remember like seeing my mom eat some of the cookies <laughs> and uh, I heard the, the radio that I asked for for Christmas going off. And then I heard my parents laughing and then the next morning I got a radio and I was like, something's up. Something is fishy with this. Yeah, this is suspect. What was your favorite childhood movie? Drop Dead Fred. Mm. On a scale of one to 10, how good are you at poker? Oh, like a three. We should play sometime. <laughs> and finally, what is the nerdiest thing about you? Man, I am pretty nerdy when it comes to just like being neat and organized. I mean, I go to bed really early and I wake up really early. Even as a comedian, I always like went to bed early and like, I don't know. I also study a lot. Like I, the more you know as a, as a writer, the more references you have. So like, I'm always like studying and reading and like, yeah. I don't know if that's nerdy, but. What's something that people might not know about stand-up comics? I would say that we're very fragile, very emotional. I think comedians cry a lot. We're kind of tortured souls. And I think that's because like everything is important and we notice everything. And when, when you can't just have blinders on through life, when you just like constantly know things and you can tell when people are upset, you can tell when people are fighting all the time. I think it's like this huge burden. And like, I think I got trained to do that because like my mom would come home from work in a bad mood and I knew like, okay, I can't ask for anything, you know, like, and you just get trained to like, feel people's emotions and sometimes that can be a little heavy and hard to deal with and i think there's also no end in sight you know i think we've had several comics in our community take their lives and the community is full of tortured souls like alcoholics people with extreme depression because you need these highs to help offset all your lows and the highs are like making people laugh there's no like retirement as a comedian, you know, like we don't have a guild. We don't have health insurance. We're like wrestlers. We're just out here with like no pension, no health insurance. You know what I mean? So yeah. as soon as I got into the writer's guild, I was like, oh, I'm going to keep doing this because I'll be taken care of forever. A little stability. Yeah, it's a little stable and I can still write jokes. Like this is the greatest thing ever. I've heard it described that there's a pressure in being a stand-up comic that when people meet you, they sort of expect you to be on regardless of the circumstance. Oh yeah, you know, people would always be like, well, you're a comedian, tell me a joke. And I'm like, you can't afford it. I don't tell jokes for free. <laughs> and uh, people give me money all the time. And I'm like, but at least now you're invested. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think stage is your vacation. Hmm. Like being on stage is like when I can actually relax. The other 23 hours of the day, I'm trying to come up with stuff or I'm hmm. thinking. Our brains never stop working. So yeah, we're not funny off stage because we're exhausted. Mm, <laughs> like yeah. We're just thinking all day long. And um, you know, you don't work when you're off work. Mm -hmm. So I feel like being on stage is not the work, that's the vacation. The work of a comedian is the other 23 hours a day. Is there 
a particular performance or achievement that you've had so far that stands out to you or that has particular meaning to you? There's several, actually. I wouldn't say there's one. I mean, I think like a highlight of my career might have been performing at the Hollywood Bowl. I think that Mm -hmm. was like probably the coolest venue I've ever performed in. I think the most fulfilling thing I've ever done is perform for the military overseas. I've done like 13 tours for the troops. Awesome. I think those are the most rewarding and most fulfilling. It's definitely a place where I've bombed the most. (laughs) (laughs) Bombed while bombs are going on, like double bombing. There's just like so much bombing going on. You know, I was in Iraq in 2005, like Saddam was still alive when I was Mm. there. Like I've been given the opportunity to do some really cool, incredible things and, and go incredible places to perform. And I've been very fortunate and lucky to work with some huge names that have given me plenty of opportunities. And I think the reason that happens is because I'm likable, I'm nice to be around. And I genuinely love to laugh. I laugh all the time. And so I think they're funny too. And so like you just, it just becomes, it's a very small circle of comics. We're a very small community. And so we take care of one another and I've been extremely fortunate and well taken care of. Can you tell me anything about like what you're working on now? Like, are there any goals you're working towards? Well, we're hoping that David's show comes back. Comedy Central dismantled it because of COVID. Mm. So I'm hoping that that comes back. We're still doing a monologue for him every... We, we, now we only do it twice a week on Instagram. Mm. But it's still really fun. It just keeps my brain working in joke form, yeah. which is great. I'm writing a movie with Tiffany Haddish. So that's, that's kind awesome. of fun and cool. And like she and I have been working on that for over a year. And then my boyfriend, my baby daddy... He and I just started a podcast called This Week in the 90s, where we can take those days uh, and choose one year of the 90s and talk about what happened that week. That's so cool. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's been pretty fun. We just started it. We're doing everything from home. He's a sportscaster, so he knows how to do all the video and podcast stuff, and I just write the dick jokes. (laughs) Why do you do what you do, and what does creativity mean to you? I mean, I do what I do because um, it's the only thing that I'm good at. It's also the only thing that makes me happy and entertains me. I think we all just need our own little outlets. You know what I mean? Like some people exercise, some people eat, some people, you know, like some people just need to laugh. And like, that's me. It's like, I like laughing. So whatever makes me laugh is what I'm going to do. And that might change, you know, I might not ever do stand up again. Who knows? I might not. It depends. I think the struggle that most people find in this business is that they're not willing to admit what they are good at and what they're not good at. What I had to realize was the things that I know the most about are sports, the military, and country music. And so when I would have all these meetings with like all these huge executives or whatever, I started going, I know sports, country music, and the military. And if you don't need any of those things, I ain't your girl. Hmm. I can't write jokes about the Kardashians. I don't know enough. I don't watch that show. You have to find your lane. Be honest with yourself and then go, but what am I the best at? What am I really good at? And I realized these are the three things I'm good at. They always need a woman to hire when it comes to the CMA awards, when it comes to the roasts, when it comes to sports, when it comes to the military, like who are they going to go to? They have to hire a woman. I should be the first call because I've made myself stand out in those lanes. 
some of the best advice I've ever gotten was from Jeff Garland. And I was very frustrated with Hollywood and I would be like, you know, everybody out here is just lucky. People get lucky. And I know that lucky is just perseverance plus time or whatever. And he would always tell me, yes, but perseverance is just keeping it together when nothing is going on. Hmm. If you can keep your brain focused when you're not busy and not give up when you're not busy, you win. The reason I'm still in it is because I haven't quit. Hmm. People quit all the time. And uh, that's the easiest thing to do. I think all the work I've ever gotten is because I was persistent and I didn't give up. I started writing roast jokes because I used to let Jeff Ross perform in my room and he would run like all the jokes for the roast. And then I saw him at a party once and I was like, what's the next roast you're doing? And he said, Quentin Tarantino. It was like this charity thing. And I said, what's your email? And he gave me his email and I just sent him jokes every day, all day Hmm. until he just could not ignore me anymore. Hmm. I did the same thing with John Rich, who's a country music star in Nashville. I'm like, I met him when I was working at the Four Seasons as a waitress. He heard my accent. He was like, where are you from? You know, and I was like, I'm from Georgia. And he's like, are you an actress? And I was like, oh, actually, I'm a comedian. And he's like, oh, my God, I love comedy. I was like, I know you ordered a Chardonnay. <laughs> and then, like, he just, like, loved me. And he was like, can you write any jokes about country music artists? And I was like, oh, heck yeah. And I sent him a joke every day for a year. Hmm. so that he wouldn't forget about me. That's amazing. And then he brought me out to Nashville to perform. So I was performing at his house in Nashville because he has this like 250 seat bar at his house. And so I would perform there once a year for like 10 years before I ever got into Zanies, you know? And like Hmm. that made me this like figurehead in Nashville. And that's how I started opening for Brad Paisley. And that's how I performed at the Hollywood Bowl. You know, like all these things connect. Don't give up. Try to write smart, clean, funny jokes. There's always a different way to write the joke, always. Don't be so attached to your stuff that you're not willing to open it up because if someone's not laughing, that means 50% of the audience isn't laughing, you know? Hmm. Just write a better joke, who cares? I think just create, but like don't make yourself feel guilty if you can't write every day, you know what I mean? Like you really have to live life. And I think like this whole new, trend I guess where people put out an album every year I just think that that is like the most horrific precedent to set in comedy I think it takes years to write a good act and it should take years to write a good act because you have to do a lot of living you have to do a lot of editing and changing you know it should take you three years at least Mm. to write a good act just don't be afraid of the work people get into the business for the wrong reasons and then they fail. Whereas like your reason should only be because you want to make people laugh. It should not be because you want to be famous. People who want to be famous never get famous. You have to go up, like you have to perform every day. There's just like no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You have to bomb a hundred times before you're good, period. It can be done. It's not as hard as everybody makes it. It's only as hard as you make it. occasions imagine myself on stage as a stand-up comic i'm not delusional i'm nowhere near funny enough but it's fun to fantasize about single-handedly rocking an audience in practice though i can think of few things that would be more anxiety inducing or more terrifying than what sarah refers to as her time off 
It requires confidence in your material and in yourself. Sarah said that she started out trying to emulate those who were successful before her, following in the footsteps of comics, specifically female comics, that had done well. But it wasn't until she went inward that her comedy really took off. Sharing your creativity with the world, with anyone, whether it's comedy or writing or singing or acting, can be scary. It requires bravery, and I applaud anyone who takes that risk. But I would take it even a step further and say that greatness in those things requires maybe the scariest thing of all, vulnerability. It's cliche to say things like be yourself or open your heart. We hear it from movies and TV and commercials all the time, but cliche or not, there's truth there. The world is full of imitators and followers and copycats, some of whom are talented and hardworking and earnest people who haven't yet seen their own unique value. The truth though, is that there is no one else like you. No one has your voice, your experience, your sense of humor, your imagination. You are an entirely unique flavor that the world has never tried. So be real, be authentic, be genuine and open, be honest and different and weird. Be you. This podcast and its music are mixed and composed by me, Aaron Milas. If you're not following Created By on social, you should. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. You can find that info in the episode description. You can keep up to date on new guests, new episodes, and hopefully connect with other like-minded creatives. Next week, I'm excited to sit down with an old friend and talented filmmaker, Dallas Morgan of Brighter Moon Productions. He has great insights on independent filmmaking and digital distribution, and he's an all-around great guy. You won't be disappointed. Thank you for tuning in to Created By. I'm your host, Aaron Milas. I'll see you next week. Thank you.